We are going to continue in our study through the Apostles' Creed today, considering that first statement, I believe in God the Father. And we're going to consider uh, a Trinitarian vision of the fatherhood of God. And as I said last week, each week I would like us to begin by reading the Apostles' Creed together. I remember what I said, when we read this creed together, we are entering into that communal voice of the church Uh, declaring in a very concise way uh, sort of the foundations of what it is that we believe. So I'm going to have the creed uh, placed up, and let's read this out loud together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As I shared with you guys last week, uh, the purpose of the Apostles' Creed, something that has been uniformly accepted uh, by both Catholic and Protestant churches, uh, the purpose of it is really to answer a, a very important question, and that is, what is this God like that we should so trust in him? And how is such a faith reasonable? I think it's important when we consider the creed and what it's trying to accomplish, which is really a a direct statement about a Trinitarian faith, what it means to believe in a triune God, that everything that God reveals about himself is directly connected to his relationship with humanity. And as we consider God as Father, I think that that point is is gonna be helpful uh, as we look at the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer today. Because when the world demands a confession from us, if I could borrow from the words of Robert Jensen, uh, he says this, he says, I recite the creed to confirm to it that indeed I do not worship its gods, that I am just as subversive as it suspects. I love that statement. And this creed is to help us understand who this God is and this God's connection and relationship uh, with his creation, with us specifically. The truth is, is that God is love, as scripture declares, and God is love because he is a community within himself. He is Trinity. He is one God revealed to us in three persons. And as we are going to spend the next weeks studying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to not lose sight of the fact that we are dealing with one God revealed in three persons, because it's easy to begin to try to disconnect or pull God apart. He is the Father uh, because of his relationship to the Son. He is the Son because of his relationship to the Father. He is the Holy Spirit because of the relationship to the Father and to the Son. The fatherhood of God is not like human fatherhood uh, in the sense that he has always been the Father. And the sonship is not like human sonship because he has always been the son. And this uniqueness, this oneness of God, this mystery, listen, it cannot be explained. It can be apprehended more than it is comprehended. 
I can promise you that the illustration of the egg being like a trinity is just really offensive. Uh, it's not that helpful. And so when we look at these different aspects or the different persons within the one God, the Godhead, uh, we can't lose sight of the fact that God is Father because he is Father of Jesus. He is the Father of the Eternal Son. Since God is before all things a Father and not primarily a creator or a ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. And that's a direct quote from Michael Rees from his really cool little book, a book I'd encourage called Delighting in the Trinity. Today we're going to consider the fatherhood of God in the most personal sense, uh, his fatherhood as revealed through Jesus. In a couple weeks, we'll consider father, fatherhood of God in the more universal sense as creator. But today we're going to consider the relationship between the Father and the Son and our relationship to the Father as followers of Christ and our ability to have access to the Father because of our position in Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us and our ability to come directly into the throne room of grace uh, corresponds to the fact that Jesus came to reveal who the Father is. In fact, Jesus is the one who gives us the full revelation of God as Father. Father in the sense of, of intimacy, of relationship. Father not so much as a statement about what God is like, but Father as an invocation, how it is that we are to communicate with him, how it is that we are to think about him when we communicate with him. And so today we're going to look at, I believe, the most beautiful statement about the nature of God as Father, which is found in what is traditionally called the Lord's Prayer, or probably better put, the disciples' prayer. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. It's interesting that the disciples never asked Jesus how to preach. They always wanted to understand how it is that he prayed. And the reason is, is because they saw in his prayer life this incredible relationship between himself and the Father. And they wanted that same access. And so Jesus comes to them in the Sermon on the Mount and when his disciples had gathered, them, gathered to him, it says that he sat down and began to teach them, saying these things. And in Matthew chapter 6, we begin with this statement as he begins to teach them how to pray. And I want to begin here with the Father's personal presence. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. I want to begin there because Jesus wouldn't teach us to pray to a father that wasn't there. Notice how personal this statement is. He's assuming the very presence of God. He's saying, when you pray, pray like this, because you're not praying into the air. You're not praying into the absence of something. You're praying into the presence of someone, the Father. God the Father, in these words, we are speaking of God's way of being. It's easy for us when we think of God as Father to immediately apply gender to this idea. But we need to be very careful that early church fathers in even creating these creeds were trying to protect against false ideas or our attempts actually at understanding God by applying human analogies. When we say that God is Father, it is not to say that he is like a human father, but really he becomes, he becomes the, the means by which we should 
try to be as fathers. Uh, so uh, the danger of trying to apply human fatherhood to God the Father is this. On one side, uh, you can be like me, which you grew, if you're like me, you grew up without a father. And that can do a lot of damage to our idea of God as father. Uh, and that can make you leery of coming to God as father. And I would say that even early on in my Christian life, I was much, much more comfortable praying directly to Jesus uh, because the fatherhood from a, from a human perspective was absent in my upbringing. But I would argue that it's just as dangerous to apply to God your experience with your human father if he was a good and present father. Because even the best human father falls short of the father who is in heaven. Our God, I believe in God the Father Almighty. There is none like him. And so though there are some analogous realities in connection to earthly fatherhood and God, our heavenly father, the heavenly father is the pattern for human fatherhood, not vice versa. And so Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, gives us insight into who this father is. And I want you to see clearly through the Gospels, this is important, and this is why it's so powerful when it comes to a Trinitarian understanding, is you cannot talk about God as our personal Father without coming through the Son. You cannot disconnect Him from Jesus. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said to Him, I, speaking to his disciples, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Again, in verse 9, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because you remember what the disciples asked, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Still, even at the end of his ministry, the disciples are trying to figure out how they can get to the Father in the way that Jesus was. And Jesus says, listen, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This gives us insight into who it is that we are praying to. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 1? The God at various times and various ways has spoken through the prophets and through the scriptures, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in Son. That is that everything that we need to know about the Father is discovered in the person of Jesus. That everything that the Father has to say about himself is discovered in the face of Jesus. That Jesus is the final word of the Father, and the Father has nothing new to say because the word is the living word that is living for us each and every day because what the Father communicates in Jesus is relationship, intimacy. Isn't that what the word Father communicates? It's a word of total intimacy, absolute intimacy. But the powerful thing about praying our Father when we recognize that Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, then we can say this without being blasphemous. God can be no greater than he is in Jesus Christ. When you first take that in, think that, wait, there's got to be, no, there, no. All that Jesus is is a direct revelation of who the Father is. He relates to God as his own father and invites us as his followers to share in the same relationship. Now, here's how challenging it is to separate the father from the son. It can't be done because Jesus says, no one can come to the father except through me. But he also says in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me 
unless the Father draws him. So it is out of that communion of love between the Father and the Son that you and I are drawn into that same relationship. This is why uh, theologians were correct when they said, uh, specifically, I think of Calvin and Luther, who said that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are literally praying to the Father through the lips of Jesus. That the Father sees us in the Son, in the Son and in us. Our access to the Father is that the Father actually sees Jesus in us, in us in Jesus. So this same relationship is a relationship that Jesus reveals to us. Jesus called God Abba Father, Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You know that word Abba, uh, that is a, a term of absolute intimacy. It's like what a child calls their father. It's like daddy. Now, I will admit that as I'm in week two of our 30 days of prayer, I'm going to give a shameless plug right now because many of you were not there today, and I was, uh, that, that in praying in groups of people, I, I always find it fascinating. There's something in me that kind of sort of reacts when someone prays, Daddy, <laughs> to God, I've, I always, A, I feel bad because I snicker oh, well, almost always. And that may be you, and you may have been that person that did that. And I want to say that I'm not shaming you for doing it. I actually think you're closer to the truth than I am, that you actually understand what Jesus said when he said, unless you come to me like little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, that we are to come to the Father with, child, with childlike faith. And that term of endearment, I'm not necessarily saying you should say daddy, but, uh, but I am saying that there is a sweet intimacy that, that Jesus is, is calling us to turn to his father who is a good, loving, totally trustworthy father that we can rely upon, that we can draw life from just as he did. He says, Abba, Father, and we are empowered by the same Holy Spirit to pray in the exact same way. Think about what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, we're not called to be driven by fear. This is why this is so important is that when we pray to God as Father, it is meant to give us a, a personal reality, not a God that is unknowable and unapproachable uh, and, and we, that we should be afraid of in the sense that we run away from. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, but it's the fear of offending a God who is loving, a God who invites us to come to him like little children. When it says in Romans 8, you have not received the spirit of adoption, it goes, you have, excuse me, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. You know, some of this terminology, uh, this gender terminology, uh, one of the things that we are called in Scripture is sons of God. It doesn't say sons and daughters. It says sons of God. And for you ladies, if that offends your sensibility, don't worry. We get ours as men because we're also called the bride of Christ. Once again, these are relational uh, statements that show 
how it is that we relate to God. And the reason that it says sons of God is because all of us, men and women, have the right of the one and only son, Jesus. In other words, we are co-heirs. We have the privileges of the son, Jesus, because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. It's not a gender statement. It's a positional statement. It's a relational statement. I also want you to notice that when we are told to say our Father, that this is not a statement about God, but it's an invocation to God. Our ability to understand who God is comes from, directly corresponds to our relationship with him. Even in Romans 8, when it says that the Spirit is within us, crying out what? Abba, Father. That our understanding of the fatherhood of God is directly connected to our relationship with him, our communion with him, our communication with him. I I love that this is a prayer, how it is that we ought to pray. When I uh, was praying with Henry when he was a little boy, I used to pray with him at at night before he'd go to sleep. And I remember uh, him, I, I asked him one night when he was probably like three or four, I said, Henry, do you understand what prayer is? And he said, no. And we've been doing it every night. And I said, well, it's just talking with God. And he goes, well, why didn't you tell me. <laughs> and it was, you know, out of the mouths of babes. It's a, a profound, uh, this, all of a sudden this light bulb, like I was hiding something from him. You should have just been more clear of what this is. Uh, and this is how we understand who the father is. We understand our father. Why do I have a hard time understanding who the father is? Because I didn't have a father to commune with. I didn't have a father to communicate with. I couldn't give you any information about my father other than the fact that he was absent. Jesus invites us to understand the heart of the father by actually entering into communion with him. He is our father who is in heaven. We speak to God. I'm going to share with you a quote from a really amazing book. We had it in the bookstore and it already sold out. Uh, We're going to get more in for next week, but it's by a man, a a pastor in Australia named Ben Myers. Uh, And this is such a great quote about the fatherhood of God. He says, we speak to God and God listens to us as if we were Jesus. Jesus is God's child by nature and we become God's children by grace. Jesus is born of God, we are adopted. So when we confess that God is father, it is not a theological idea, but a confession of the defining relationship of our lives. We call God Father because that is what Jesus calls God and because Jesus has invited us to relate to God in the same way. When we speak to God as Father or Jesus as Son, we're not making gender statements. We are making a relational statement. Father is a word of absolute intimacy. God, our Father, means our Father of mercy. We are and always shall be prodigals who can claim no right except that which has been given to us by Jesus. What about our Father in heaven? Because I'm talking about the presence of the Father. Jesus calls us to pray this way, our Father, but if he's in heaven, how is he hearing us? Luther was once asked this, where is heaven? And Luther answered, wherever God is. What was the words of Jacob when he had his vision of a ladder descending from heaven, from heaven to earth, and angels ascending and descending upon that ladder? 
When Jacob awoke, he said, God is in this place, and I did not know it. You know what's profound is that in the Gospel of John, Jesus interpreted that dream and showed himself to be the latter. Jesus said, whenever two or more gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Our access to the Father in heaven speaks of God's space, God's perfections, God's presence. That's where heaven is. And you have access to heaven on your way to heaven. I think it's important for us to remember that. Well, let's continue in the prayer. Because he begins with this, but he moves on to this, the Father's perfection. Hallowed be your name. To speak of his name is to consider his character. What kind of father is this? What kind of father is this that we are communicating with? Well, Jesus said, you want to know what my father's like? You look at me. Hebrews refers to him as the exact imprint of the father, the exact image. He imaged the father for us. And so what is God like? He is like Jesus. Again and again, I must state that. To speak of his name is to consider his character. Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said this about the Father. This is interesting. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is that verse saying other than creating a lot of discomfort for most of us? By the way, that verse is the verse that led me to faith in Jesus. And why did it lead me to faith in Jesus? Because Jesus uttered an impossibility for me and it clicked with me. That's it. He's sharing something with his, he's helping his disciples recognize their inability, their absolute impotence to save themselves. And he's calling them to cast themselves upon the one who is perfect. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. If we have seen him, we have seen the Father. And so when we are put our faith in Christ, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So the Father who is perfect, we now have communion with him because he sees us perfected in the Son, even though we know at the, in the depths of our hearts that we are by nature in this fallen life prodigals. In Christ, we're prodigals that have come home. The Father's perfection is why we say, hallowed be your name. We want your name. We want your character to be recognized in and through our lives because you're a good father. And what is your character like? James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Every good gift comes down from him. He is the same but never the same because he is always new every morning. And what I mean by that is that the Father, as revealed to us through Christ, is a Father of mercy, a God who has chosen by sending his Son to not exist without us. That is a profound statement that one must take deep into their hearts that God has chosen to not exist without you. He is a father. You know what he's like? He's like the father. Like my son is 16. And, and he's going to, well, I got him for two more years. And he's going to go to college. I think that Darcy and I could end up, we might leave you guys as a church just so we can, if he moves to Seattle, I got to go. I want to be where he is. I don't think he's here today. I don't think he knows that. But wherever you go, boy, I'm going. 
the the desire for parents to be with their kids. This father is a father that that wants us to recognize his presence and his availability every day. That's why he's not like any earthly father. He is perpetually available to us by faith, and we must perpetually come to him like little children of faith. Think about how little children rely on their parents when they have good parents. They don't even actually ask. They're just rude. They just expect (laughs) because they're well-loved. They know the heart of their parents, and I believe that this is what Jesus is calling us into an understanding of. Hallowed be your name is to get us to understand and to reflect upon his perfections, but his perfection is revealed in his willingness to enter into our brokenness through his son. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Even when we see God interacting in the Old Testament, as people try to say that it's a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament, it's not true. When God actually declared himself to Moses, when Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, what is it that he declared about himself? He declared that he was a God who is abounding in steadfast love and mercy, that literally he tips the scales to mercy, and that was proven tangibly through his willingness to enter into human flesh through his son. Powerful. What about the father's purpose? Because he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Let's consider the father's purpose. His purpose is to bring his kingdom, to restore his kingdom. And that kingdom, that, that's an eschatological statement. That, is, that means that that's a, there's a future fulfillment that is yet to come. But what is the church called to be? The church is called to be a kingdom outpost, a reflection in part of what is coming in full. But what does it mean to pray to the Father? What does this tell us about the Father uh, in regards to the kingdom? It it speaks of how he wants to accomplish in in a powerful way his purposes through us. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The Father's purpose, your kingdom come, is to pray that your gospel go forth. When we pray to our Father, we need to recognize that our Father doesn't simply want us to turn to him uh, and, and talk with him, but our communion with him should lead to our usefulness for him being aligned with his plans, his purposes, his desires, his activity. And his activity shows how good and loving he is because we are called to be ambassadors of Christ whom God makes his appeal to the lost world through. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and of drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we pray your kingdom come, we are actually aligning ourselves with his character. We're saying, Lord Jesus, your kingdom can't come if you aren't revealed through our lives. And there is an element of of, recognition of God's authority over our lives. What is the essence of sin? The essence of sin is our rebellion against God's sovereign rule. This prayer teaches us the heart of the Father that intimacy with God happens when we surrender to his authority over our lives. And to pray your kingdom come reveals something about the heart of the Father that the moment we surrender to his ways, to his personhood, gives him the ability then to actually bring his kingdom through our lives. And how do we know if his kingdom is coming today in our lives? Well, 
What is the kingdom of God like, according to Romans? It's not eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. I love that. The Father's purpose is to bring righteousness, justice, that which is right into his world, into our lives, and peace, shalom, and joy. God's purpose is to bring joy into your life as you commune with him. And not just joy into your life, but joy through your life that he might continue to fulfill that purpose. What about the Father's plan? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's always funny, as a pastor, how often I have asked by people, uh, they said, I just want to understand the will of God. But what they mean by that is not your will be done, but what is your plan for me personally? I always say if we do the 90% that's clear in Scripture, uh, the 10% that has to do with us personally will, will, will follow. Uh, and what this prayer teaches us about the heart of the Father is that communion with Him, we begin with Him. We begin with His name, His purposes, His plans. And His, I love this, his plan is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think of James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. When we pray this prayer to the Father, it reminds us daily that his will has been accomplished in our lives by the fact that we have placed our faith in his Son, which then remind us that that is his will for others as well. He didn't save us into a vacuum, but he saved us into a family, and through that family, he might actually draw many into his family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The Father's heart for us is that we become more and more like him, like his son, that we would become a reflection. Just as Jesus was the image bearer of the Father, we are called to be the image bearers of the Son. This is why Paul could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the Father's heart toward us. We want to understand what the Father wants from us. He's after our righteousness for us. He's after peace for us. He's after our joy. And that happens when his will begins to be accomplished through us. And his will uh, is already being accomplished by the fact that we've placed our faith in his son. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 4. You want to know what the will of God is? Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me just read that again in case you thought it said, who desires some to be saved. It says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, I always like to remind people that when you deal with the issue of election, uh, that God chose you that through you he might save others. Uh, that Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you to his disciples. But what does he give them in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission? Now, because I chose you, go therefore into all nations. And I'm an evangelist, so if you want to say uh, he desires some to be saved, well, I don't know, take it up with Paul who wrote the letter. Uh, 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't mean that all people will be saved, but he desires all people to be saved and accomplish salvation for all people in King Jesus. It doesn't mean that all people will receive that salvation. This is his will. But now look, as we move through God's cause, God's calling upon our lives, the Father, his, his character, his, his purposes, his plans, uh, we now move into this incredible ability that really gives us insight into the fatherhood of God by the fact that we can come to him with our actual needs, and he is a God who will answer. And Jesus says, and when you pray, you know, pray like this. After he moves through, he moves through these realities about the Father, he says, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. It begins with the Father's provision. I like that right before he goes into the Lord's Prayer, he said to his disciples, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's a powerful statement about fatherhood. I do think about my, my children and, you know, our kids, they know they're loved. And because they know they're loved, they feel safe. And because they feel safe, they do. I, I mean, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the, the greatest uh, story. Just the, the, the fact that Henry and I probably, just thinking about parenting, uh, probably more than Hattie, we don't, we just assume that, like, Toilet paper rolls just appear out of nowhere in the house, you know? We don't, we don't ask. That's not something we ask for. We, food, I, I don't even think about food. My wife just goes and gets food. The, the kids aren't like, I wonder if mom and dad will feed me today. You know, that's a sad reality for kids, that that, that is a reality for kids in some places, in many places. But when a child has the safety and the, and the care of their parents, there's this, there's this kind of presumptuousness that actually is okay. That we love our kids. We want to spoil our kids. We want to give them what they need. And I love what Jesus teaches us to pray here because he says, give us this day our daily bread, which is basically give us the bare necessities of what is needed for today. We're not called to ask for God for bread for tomorrow. We're, asked, we're called to ask for him for bread today. And why does Jesus say it that way? It's because he wants us to continue to be in communion with the Father. Not just one day, we get what we need for the week, and then we come back to him a week later. But we want, he wants us to continually rely upon him as the primary gift. And when we have God as our gift, we have everything. He wants us to be like little children who live by such incredible faith that we have the boldness to ask for things that we don't even need and which allows God the ability. People say, God doesn't answer my prayer. The answer, he probably has answered your prayer. He just said no. Because Jesus teaches us to ask for our daily bread, which is what we need, not necessarily what we want. Matthew seven eleven says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is another powerful way of saying that the fatherhood of God is not like earthly fatherhood. It's even more. 
It's, it's, even, it's even more gracious, more generous than we can even begin to imagine. Think of all the things that the Father gives you that you never asked for. Think of the ways that he drew you to himself. No one comes to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. He is a gracious God, and he loves us, and he wants you to trust him, that he is there to meet you with your needs, and the greatest need that you have is to feast upon him. I think that, it, that this statement isn't just simply a statement about our physical needs, but it is supremely a statement of our spiritual needs, where Jesus himself said he is the bread of life. The problem is, is that we don't want our bare necessities. We often want things. This is what James said. When you ask, you ask for the wrong things. You ask with the wrong heart. But to come to the Father and recognize that the Father's desire is for us to be in perpetual communion with him, and that is the gift. That is the gift. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Well, let's consider not simply the Father's provision, but let's consider the Father's pardon, because in verse 12, a powerful statement about God is this, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. Jesus wouldn't tell us to ask for forgiveness unless forgiveness was there to be granted. You remember the words of Jesus himself upon the cross of Calvary when he said, this, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, as nails were being hammered into his hands and his feet, he says, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was he revealing in that moment? He was revealing the Father's heart to forgive. He only said those things that pleased the Father. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And for in that moment, he isn't, he isn't getting in between a father who's reluctant to forgive, he's proclaiming the very heart of the father by saying, Father, forgive, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the forgiveness of God, his ability to forgive us as our heavenly father is because of his willingness to actually take our brokenness into himself through his son. That's what Jesus did. The powerful thing about this prayer is it connects us directly with the gospel. The Father's pardon comes to us because Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, we are told that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The fact that sin is, by its very nature, our rebellion against God's rule of our life, and Jesus takes that whole reality into himself. We don't even understand how it worked. I, I don't think that it was like a backpack on him. I think literally uh, that he embodied sin in, in the fullest way. And because he was also God, he was able to see it through all the way to its bitter end. And that he tasted death and he tasted sin and he tasted the dominions of darkness and he conquered them on the cross of Calvary. Because as we read in the creed, he descended into hell. That is that he accepted hell on our behalf so that the father now could be both just and the justifier of the sinner. He is just to forgive us because his son has taken the price that we deserve. And so the Father's pardon comes to us once again. It reveals God's incredible heart of love toward us, a love that is so great that he is willing to allow his son to take the judgment that we deserve into himself so that we can be treated like the son who did nothing wrong. 
Finally, look at the Father's protection. And I would just say this, too. When Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, just know that our ability to forgive comes out of our understanding that we have been forgiven. I, I, I meet too many Christians that just live in this in perpetual guilt because they do not believe that God could really forgive them for the things that they've done wrong. I just want you to know that no matter how deep your sin goes, God's love goes deeper still. Jesus would not have told us to pray this prayer if it was a prayer of futility. He is calling us to grab a hold of God's willingness to be with us each and every moment. Heaven is where God is, and God is with his children as they call upon his name. The Father's protection is an interesting one. Because Jesus, at the end of the, of the prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <laughs> Notice, uh, there are some Christians that teach that, that the responsibility of the Christian is to go storm the gates of hell and to, to take on demons. Jesus tells us to pray that God would keep, keep us out of their path. Uh, but really, what is he revealing there is the, is the Father's protection of us, that we should call upon the Father, his presence with us. What did James say? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then he follows it up with, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The resistance of the devil actually is the outcome of drawing near to God. When we are close to God, God's presence surrounds us in a way that the devil stays away. Uh, and I think that this is a, a powerful picture of how the Father comes to protect us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How did the Father protect? How has the Father delivered us from evil? How has he protected us as his children? I will tell you how upside down this kingdom is. Because the Father provides protection for us from evil by allowing his son to fully experience the complete weight of evil. For God so loved the world that he gave, that is, he gave his only son over to death so that we could live. His protection comes through his son's sacrifice. Now, this is what is so profound about this statement that I just made, is that I was thinking about it in terms of my kids. I wouldn't give up Henry or Hattie for any of you. I wouldn't give up Henry and Hattie for all of you. You know, in that, 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 the, the, the great moral dilemma, would you allow one person die to save many? N no. No, I would not. Uh, because I am not my heavenly father. Uh, and I come to him as a prodigal through the lips of Jesus. But our father, his fatherhood is so different, so counterintuitive, that he is willing to sacrifice that which is most dear to him, that he might bring us, and this is what's crazy, is we didn't even want him. So it's one thing to lay, would you lay your child down for people that love you? No, I just said no. <laughs> and you're like, I would. You're a bad pastor. No, I'm not. I just have really great kids. Maybe if they were horrible kids, I would, I would consider it. Uh, but no, I wouldn't consider it. But the Father, I want to end on this note because this note is so, this is everything, is that he was willing to lay down his 
son, that which is most precious. At the center of the universe, George MacDonald said, there is a father-son relationship that informs everything. He was eternally the father. Jesus is eternally the son. God is love. And out of that love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he created out of nothing. He created us because he is love and it is his nature to create. And we turned against him and we wanted nothing to do with him and we did not love him. But he loved us still. It says, while we were yet still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The Father's protection is great because he gave up protection of his son so that we could have access to him. Deliver us from evil. Yes, we will be confronted with evil in this life, but we need to understand that we are confronted by a defeated foe, that Jesus is already victorious over Satan, sin, and the dominions of darkness and death. He has completely conquered them. We are praying this prayer clinging to the promise that the best is even yet to come because we have a father who loves us and he loves us because he sees us in his son. Someone once referred to election as, uh, as like a divine handbag, that Jesus is the actual elect one and, and the father opens up the bag and he's like, oh, I didn't know you were in there. That's, that's, kind, of how, that's kind of what I expect him to be like. He's like, Good one, son. Oh, he made it in there? He got in that bag? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a, that helpful of an illustration, but it, it, is, it, does, it, does, it does help in, a, in a, this one way. And that what we need to understand is this absolute boldness, this ability to come directly into the Father's presence is because we are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.3. My friend Mackenzie shared this verse with me today and said, this, God put this verse on my heart in regards to the things you said you were going to share about in your message today. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our relationship with the Father is an invitation from Jesus to have the same relationship that he has with the Father because we have died. The old man, the old woman has died, been buried with Christ, and we have been resurrected in the newness of life. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No one knows the Son, Jesus said, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He has chosen to reveal himself to you. Accept Jesus and find your access to the Father. And if you have Jesus, don't waste that access to the Father. For prayer is like breathing. You want to understand what it means that God is our Father, then begin to commune with him and he will show you. Amen?